reading from Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, page 187 in the Church Bibles. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons... Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. G'day, friends. My name is Scott. It's good to be with you this morning. We are today looking at the whole book of Ruth. If you've got your Bibles there, it'd be worth keeping it open. Uh, Some passages will come up on the screen here, uh, but it'd be good for you to look at it in the Bible as well if you've got it there. I want to start today, though, by telling you a story. This is a true story, a story about a friend of mine. We met when we both moved to a new city together. Uh, We had similar interests. We liked the same kind of sports. We ended up at the same church, and so we ended up hanging out a lot together. But then in a short space of time, things changed. Something happened. My friend quit his uni degree without a job to go to. He was much harder to get in contact with. He wouldn't come out and spend time with us as much. And I had no idea what was going on for a while. And then I found out. His mental health was failing him. And this began a, a long battle. At first it was diagnosed as depression, uh, and then the diagnosis changed to uh, bipolar, 
And then it changed again to something else. I, I can't tell you, I can't remember what it is. Um, I didn't know what any of that meant at the time, but I saw how it affected him. This guy who was happy and outgoing became kind of anxious around people, distant when he was even in front of you sometimes. The, this guy who loved and loved, loved his sport, supported wholeheartedly his footy team, sometimes he wasn't even interested in what was going on for them. When things were really bad, he started hearing voices in his head. He had to spend long periods, months at a time sometimes, in hospital wards. This wasn't how my friend was supposed to spend his life. This wasn't what things were supposed to look like for him. I kept thinking to myself, mental illness has it's robbed him of his life. How would you cope? How would you cope with something like this? This is not, a, this is not really a Christian question, is it? This is a question that all of us would have, no matter if you're a Christian or not. It's a life question. But if you are a Christian, there's another part to this question that well, how do you keep your faith through something like this? Maybe you haven't been through this kind of thing exactly, but you've had other, other things that have happened. Maybe, maybe life has been smooth sailing for you. If that's been you, probably that won't keep going on forever. But I suspect most of us at some point or another, we've asked the question, what's going on? Life wasn't supposed to be like this. Marriage is hard. Career is floundering. There's no money in the bank, no money in your wallet. People who are supposed to be friends turn out to be not friends. Even sometimes families can abandon us. When this happens, how do we cope? The book of Ruth has so much to say to us. At first, it might seem a little bit odd. I mean, it's, it's written in a very different time, set in a very different culture. Even some of the names seem really weird and, and foreign to us. But despite these differences, Ruth has a lot to say because it asks these same questions. When life doesn't go according to plan, how do we cope? When things that aren't supposed to happen, when they happen and they happen to us, what do we do? Where do we go? And does the Christian God really offer anything at this point? That's the question we're asking today. It's big, isn't it? It's big. So let's ask our God to help us as we listen to what he says. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for speaking And we just wanted to ask now, please give us ears that hear, that listen to what you say, and hearts that delight in your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking today at Ruth, and chapter 1 of Ruth is all about problems, difficulties, troubles. Life doesn't go according to plan in Ruth chapter 1. We meet a family as Elimelech, 
his wife Naomi, their two sons, Mahlon and Kilian. And straight away, this family faces a problem. There's a famine in the land. There's no food, which is kind of ironic because they're living in a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread or house of food, but there's no food at all. So the family moves over to Moab. But once they're in Moab, the problems only deepen. Elimelech dies. The sons marry. They marry Orpah and Ruth. But then the sons die as well. And now Naomi's all alone. She came to this new country as a family of four, and she is the only one left remaining. This is not a problem, is it? This is a tragedy. It's a family tragedy. And this tragedy creates an ongoing problem. What's Naomi left with now? What does life look for her? There's no Centrelink. There's no social security. Naomi here is facing a lifetime of poverty and insecurity. This is not the life she had planned on living. And so when the famine ends, she decides to go back to her hometown. And when she goes, we get to see how big the problem really is. She tells Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, she tells them, look guys, don't come with me. I've, I've got nothing. My life has got nothing. Go back home. See if you can find another husband. Try and start a new life for yourself. And they insist. They say, no, no, we're going to come with you. But Naomi tells them, no, no, no. Why would you come with me? I'm not going to have any more sons for you to marry. Which kind of seems a little bit odd to us because why would they want to be marrying her sons again? It's a bit odd. But in fact, that would answer the problem, wouldn't it? If Naomi had other sons, uh, Ruth and Orpah could marry them. And that was actually the norm in that culture. In fact, that's what the Old Testament said that people should do. It meant that the name of the dead person would live on, that the family would have a future, there would be hope for them. But there's no son, is there? And there's no hope for another son. Naomi has no future. Her life from here on in is one of poverty, insecurity. So Orpah does the wise thing. She goes back home. But Ruth stays with Naomi. Now this should shock us. Remember, what kind of life Naomi has? What kind of life then is Ruth signing up to? Poverty, insecurity. This is not the kind of life dreams are made of. It's a life without a future at all. Who wants to sign up to that? It's shocking here that Ruth stays. And in fact, the whole rest of the book now hinges on this problem, on this question. Naomi has no son for Ruth to marry. What hope do they have? Where is the future for this family? Will their life ever be back on track again? You actually get a sense for how bad it is when they land back in Bethlehem. And Naomi starts to talk to the townspeople. Naomi, the name means pleasant. It's a nice nice name, isn't it? Pleasant. But she says to the townspeople, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. That's Naomi's life now. Her life is full of bitterness and emptiness. It's not the way life is supposed to be. 
We're asking today, how do you, how do you cope when life doesn't go the way that you'd planned it? Some of us have experienced similar things to Naomi here. Death of someone in the family. Maybe the death of a spouse or the death of a child. We've experienced similar things in um, unwanted singleness that seems like it will go on and on and on. Life doesn't go according to our plans. How do we cope? It's very easy in these moments, isn't it? It's very easy for bitterness to creep in. Forbiddenness to settle and, and take root in our lives. And this isn't the big point of the passage, but, but it's worth just pausing and reflecting on this for a couple of moments. When bitterness takes root, it is damaging. It's damaging for the bitter person and it has effects for everyone who's around them as well. And it's not that we should just smile and pretend that everything's okay even when we're actually really hurting. There's something quite not human about doing that, but, but bitterness is not the answer, is it? And so when life gets hard and when things don't go the way it's supposed to, be on your guard against bitterness. If this first chapter in Ruth is all about problems, well then the second chapter is something about, is about something completely different. It's about care. Care and provision. Before the story really kicks on in chapter 2, we have this little side note in the first verse, in Ruth chapter 1. We meet a man named Boaz. He's one of Elimelech's relatives. And suddenly we, we, we start thinking, well, hang on just a minute here. Naomi doesn't have a son, but, well, he's a relative. Maybe, just maybe, maybe this guy will step in. Maybe he's the answer to our ongoing problem. And that's all we get, just one verse. Our hopes are raised, and then the story just moves on completely. In the story, Ruth realizes that they need to eat. And it's harvest time, and so she goes out to the fields and she walks behind the harvesters and she picks up any bits of grain that they leave behind, and this then becomes their food. But of course, in all of this, where does Ruth end up? Which, which field does she go to? Well, she goes to Boaz's field. What a coincidence. And who just happens to show up on that day to check on his harvesters and his workers? Who happens? Well, Boaz shows up. What a coincidence. Again. And we like Boaz. Boaz is good. He's kind to Ruth. He gives her protection. He gives her lunch. He lets her pick up the grain. In fact, he says to his harvesters, just drop a bit of extra grain so that she can pick it up as well. He gives her water. He, he helps her out big time. And Ruth is astounded by Boaz's kindness to her. And so she asks him, why are you doing all this for me? Who am I that you should do this for me? Listen to what Boaz says. Chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know beforehand. And this is the really important bit. Verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The Lord, the God of Israel, 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth may not have thought about it like this. She may not have intended to do this. But when she came back with Naomi to live in Bethlehem, Ruth placed herself under God's care. By being among God's people, Ruth placed herself under God's wings. And in God, she's going to find refuge. See, it wasn't a coincidence, was it? That Ruth ended up working in Boaz's field. And it wasn't a coincidence that Boaz happened to come that day to his field. Now, this is God at work. This is God at work to care for Ruth and to care for Naomi, to provide for them. Yes, he's using Boaz to do this, but make no mistake, this is God at work. At the end of the day, Ruth goes home to tell Naomi about all that's happened. And that's when Naomi makes a connection. Boaz, she says, this man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. A guardian redeemer in the Old Testament is a close family relative. And, and in the Old Testament, what they had to do, if you're a guardian redeemer, you had to help out your family members who were in trouble, who were in difficulty. You had to redeem them, buy them out of their situation. And so again, our hopes for this family are raised. Maybe Boaz will help this family. Maybe he'll make them have a future. Our hopes are raised and then nothing again. There's no answer. The tension's left hanging. Chapter 2 ends with Ruth continuing to go and work in Boaz's field, bring home grain, and that's all good and well. But soon there's going to be an end to the harvest season. Soon there's going to be no grain to pick up and there's still no son, there's still no relative, there's still no marriage. There's still no security for this family. They constantly are still facing a lifetime of poverty, of insecurity, of, of no future. And so we come to the final movement in the book. Chapters 3 and 4. And they're all about redemption. Naomi decides it's getting towards the end of harvest season. This can't wait any longer. I need to act. This is what she says. In, this is what happens in chapter 3, verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. She realizes this, and so she starts then to come up with a plan. And it sounds a bit weird if you read through the plan. It's a bit of an odd plan, but it works. In the middle of the night, on the threshing floor, uh, Naomi finds herself talking one-on-one with Boaz. And look at what she says to him in verse 9. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're a guardian redeemer for our family. Now, it's not that she's cold and she's asking for a bit of blanket in the night. She's saying to Boaz, look, you're our guardian redeemer. Help out your family. You're the one that can give us a future. Will you do that for us? And Boaz says, yeah, I will. No, no, I won't. See, Boaz is keen, but there's a problem which there always is in stories like this, right? Boaz says there's another guardian redeemer. He's, closely, he's, he's a closer relative than me, 
And, well, he has first say. He has to give up his rights before Boaz can do anything. And so the next day, then, Boaz goes to sort things out. He goes to the town gate. He finds this other guy. He brings him over. He gets some, some elders in the town. He wants to make this all official. He gathers them there. And then there's this long conversation between Boaz and the other guy. The other guy is happy to redeem the land that belongs to Naomi. He's happy to buy the field. But, but when he realizes there's also a responsibility with Ruth as well, at that stage he backs out because it's costly. He'd have to buy the field with his own money, but then the field would never actually belong to him. It would belong to the son that he had with Ruth. And so it's costly. And he says, I can't do it. He says, Boaz, you do it. And then they do this funny thing where they trade sandals. or like One of them gives a sandal to the other because they didn't have receipts back then. And this is the way they showed that, yes, this was a legit, trans, trans, uh, a, a legit uh, buying of something. They swap their sandals. The town elders, they all sign off on it. It's, it's all official. Boaz now can redeem the family. And finally, this big tension that's been with us the whole time since chapter 1, what is the, what is the, the future for this family? It, it comes to a conclusion here. And we find Boaz, he redeems the family. He gives them a future. It doesn't matter what cost is involved for Boaz. It is costly for him. But it doesn't matter what cost is involved. He's prepared to do it. He's prepared to pay up. In the final verses of chapter 4, we get a happy ending. Boaz marries Ruth. They have a baby boy. Naomi, who came back to her country bitter and alone, she now nurses her grandson in her arms. The family has a future. And all because of God. Again, remember, when Ruth came back with Naomi... She may not have intended to. But at that time, she was placing herself under God's care, under God's refuge, under God's protection. And despite how messy life has been, and it is messy for these guys, God's been good. God's been faithful. Even when life doesn't go according to plan, God is still a refuge. And the end of the book actually helps us realize that this is the way God always acts. When Boaz and the other guy are meeting with the town elders, this is what the town, the town elders, they, they mention Rachel and Leah. Do you remember Rachel and Leah from earlier in the Bible? Here are two sisters that end up married to the same man. This is not what they wanted this is a very messy situation. And yet through them, God raised up a nation, his own nation, his people Israel. The town elders mentioned Judah and Tamar. Do you remember Judah and Tamar? A very messy situation. There a father sleeps with his daughter-in-law and they have a son. Very messy. That's not what either of them really planned on life looking like. And yet through this, God raises up the biggest and most influential tribe in all of Israel. And again here, we have another messy situation, don't we? Ruth, this foreigner, and her mother-in-law Naomi lose everything. They're facing a life of poverty and uncertainty. This is not the way life was supposed to go for them. 
And yet God uses this situation to bring about a line, not just of a family, but a line of kings. A line that starts with the great King David. So even when life is messy and it doesn't go according to our plans and the things that we want, when our dreams and our hopes don't come to reality, even then, and I want to say especially then actually, we find God to be a refuge. We find a God who cares for us. A God who we can trust in. And if that's true for Ruth and Naomi, it's even more true for us now. See, God cared for for Ruth through Boaz. God used Boaz as a redeemer for, for Ruth and Naomi and their family. But God cares for us too. In fact, He cares for us, and He cares for us in our deep need, in our deep provision, by redeeming us in Jesus. In Jesus, God purchases us. He buys us. He redeems us. He ransoms us out of our poverty to sin. He sets us free. And you remember when Boaz had to redeem Ruth and Naomi? The other guy didn't want to do it because it was so costly, but Boaz was prepared to pay the cost. But how much more costly was it when Jesus redeemed us? It cost him his life. His blood was shed. That was the price for our redemption. But, but Jesus didn't shirk that. He was prepared to pay the cost, whatever it was. So friends, we can be sure that God cares for us. And we don't have to wait for God to do something. God's actually already done everything. Our redemption, it's, it's signed, sealed and delivered in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this really is the challenge for you. You've seen what God is like. You've heard what God is like to you in Jesus. Yes, Naomi and Ruth were facing something quite horrible, a life of poverty and insecurity is not a good thing at all. But we're facing something far more serious. We're facing the consequences of living a life that rejected God, of living a life of sin. That's not a good place to be. But Jesus redeems us. He gives us not just a future in this life, But more importantly, he gives us a future into eternity of heaven, of enjoying life with all of God's goodness. Won't you come to God today? If you do, it doesn't mean that life is going to be easy necessarily. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a happy ever after from this moment onwards. But as someone who's made the call, I want to speak from my own experience here. As someone who's, who's done that, who's turned to follow Jesus, let me say, yes, life hasn't always been easy since, but this is the best decision I've ever made. God's cared for me. He's cared for me through Jesus and he's kept caring for me ever since. I don't want to go anywhere else. If you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, the challenge is, will you turn to God? Will you come to him Will you find in him a place of refuge, of care, of provision? Some of us have already done this, haven't we? We've turned to Jesus, we trust him, we call ourselves Christians. But life 
just, it hasn't gone according to our plans. It hasn't been easy. Life has been messier than we ever expected. Is this you? Maybe you've experienced this in the past. Maybe you're experiencing this right now. Maybe it is that you haven't experienced it yet, but it will come sometime in the future. So as Christians, as people who have turned to God, as people who have turned to Jesus, how do we respond then when life just seems so out of control, not the way we planned? It wasn't supposed to happen like this. When our careers go nowhere, when we have a sense of purposelessness in our lives. How do we respond when we lose our jobs? How do we respond when, when we can't even find a job in the first place? What about when our kids grow up and they kind of disown us? Or what about when our kids grow up and they disown Jesus? What about when we can't even have kids in the first place? What about if we can't get married in the first place? What about when mental illness strikes us down? What about when our physical health fails us? When these kinds of things happen, how do we respond, friends? How do we cope when life doesn't go the way we'd planned? Ruth, the book of Ruth, stands as a witness to us to remind us of God's faithfulness, of God's care, of his redemption. And we see a shadow of that redemption with Boaz, but we see the fullness of it in Jesus. Ruth reminds us not to run away from God when things don't go right. But at that time, as every time, we need to run to God, to come under his wings, to take refuge in him. And so I just want to spend a couple of moments now asking, practically, what does that look like in our lives? And it could look like any number of things, but, but here's just three things. Firstly, pray. This might seem obvious to us, but, but, but pray. Pour your heart out to God in prayer. Actually tell him how you're feeling. Ask for his help. Yeah, sometimes you're not going to feel like praying, but, but pray anyway. Your heart may not be, might not be in it, but pray. Let your heart catch up to it. Maybe you don't have the headspace to figure out exactly what you would pray anyway. So, so find the Psalms in the Bible. Pray a Psalm to God. You know, so many of the Psalms are written out of a place of grief when life doesn't go the way that the Psalmist had planned. And yet even amidst that grief, the psalms will often end in a note of praise. Pray a psalm. Pray. Secondly, remind yourself of reality. That is, remind yourself how Jesus has changed and now shapes your reality. Because of Jesus, if you're a Christian, God is now your Father. He always will be. You're, you're his child. God cares for you. God cares for you so much that he sent Jesus to rescue you. Remind yourself how Jesus has changed not just your current reality, but your future reality too, where your home, which, which really only kind of is temporary here, but you have an eternal, secure future home in heaven with God, 
that has changed your reality completely. Jesus has changed your reality completely. Remind yourself of these things, friends. Pray. Remind yourself how Jesus has changed and shaped your reality. And thirdly, stay close to church. This might not seem obvious at first, but when life gets hard, it's easy to distance ourselves from God and it's easy to distance ourselves then from God's people. But I say stay close to your church family and your Christian friends. It's true, we might not always know what to say and sometimes we might say things that are uh, insensitive, they're not the right thing and, and we'll need your forgiveness for that. But stay close to us. Here at church, this is the church family that God has given you. We're here to help you. God has given us to help you so we can bear your burdens with you. We might need to learn how to do that. We might have to get better at that. But that's why we're here. So don't run away from church. Stay close. I want to go back to the story I started with. Here's my friend. All sorts of mental health issues. Um, there's no quick fix. This is a long battle, and it has been, and it will keep being a long battle for him. It's not what life was supposed to turn out. But praise God, God has kept being a refuge for my friend. In his darkest hours, God has proven himself time and again to be a refuge, to be a place where my friend can, can keep turning and find the caring arms of God around him. He hasn't always been able to make it to church because crowds are busy, crowds are hard, crowds make him anxious. But God has always given him Christian friends that will come and spend time with him. So Christian fellowship is never far. My friend, he can't always have the concentration, the ability to sit down and read his Bible, but God has given him audio books of the Bible. God has given him a taste for Christian music where these things keep reminding him of the truths that he knows to be real. And God has never stopped listening to his prayers or answering his prayers. Sometimes not always in the way that my friend would like him to. But praise God. God has been a refuge even when life hasn't gone right. When life doesn't go according to our plans, how do we cope? Don't run from God, friends. Keep running to God. He's faithful. Find your refuge under his wings. Let's pray. Father, we feel so often that our lives don't turn out the way we would have expected or even the way we would have wanted. We confess in these times that it's it's easy for us to blame you, easy for us to walk away from you. That we've heard clearly today of the way that you care for us, that you protect us, that you redeem us in our Lord Jesus. We hear clearly from you that you want us to stay close and not run from you. So please help us to do this. Father, for those amongst us who are feeling the struggle of this right now, we ask that they would find you to be a refuge, like you say you are. 
Father, for those of us who will experience these kind of things in the years to come, please help us to resolve now to not run from you, but run to you. We pray that you would help us follow through with that. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus, with thankfulness in our hearts to you. Amen.